welcome to the Beauty Podcast. I am your host, Emma Gunnar Wardner, and joining me in this episode is nutritional therapist, Eve Kalinik. Now, as I'm gonna be talking all things gut health with her, I just want to ask you lovely listeners a couple of questions. Have you ever been painfully bloated? Or have you ever known that you're stressed because of some kind of digestive issue? That's a sign of digestive imbalance. And the notion that I went into her with, and one of the first things we decided to pick apart is this notion that good health depends on digestive balance. So if it does, how do we get there? Well, that's what Eve breaks down for us during the course of this show, including our emotional connection to food and how you don't have to be subscribing to every fatty diet that you read about. So all of the links to Eve are going to be in the show notes. Everything that we discuss will be also found on emmagunnawarner.com and also over on iTunes. But for now, let's get straight into it. It's the beauty podcast with me, Emma Gunnawardner, featuring nutritional therapist Eve Kalinik. to have Eve Kalinik here with me today. Now I've said that right, haven't I? Yes, yes, that's right. We've just been having a conversation about surnames that look a certain way and sound perhaps slightly different when spoken. Eve is a nutritional therapist in her her treatment room, what do you call it? Yeah, well practice really, a home from home. A home from home. That's what I like, clients to feel relaxed. It's very relaxing. Yes. As are you, my dear. Yes. And we're talking about so many things today around essentially gut health is mm-hmm. probably a good umbrella term. Yeah. Um, I'm so intrigued to talk to you, and you're the se- you're the second nutritionist I've actually had on the podcast. Yeah. And actually, I thought the first time I did it, I found my research quite clunky, and I thought well, that's odd. And then the first, and then researching to prepare my questions for you, I found it clunky again. So I started texting friends and saying, why is it that I'm finding this quite complicated? And it's because actually the whole idea of digestive health, gut health, is quite confusing and quite complicated. Yeah, yeah. And yes. (laughs) So hopefully we will debunk um, or just make some of the things clearer today. Yeah. Um, But tell me a little bit about your background before we... Yeah, no, I mean, definitely, I mean, nutrition is a huge subject, and it's, I mean, lots of different opinions and very complicated, and I think a lot of people do find the whole thing a bit overwhelming, so I'm sure we'll get to some really Mm. um, interesting questions, and I think, you know, like a lot of your listeners, and probably the people that you were texting at some point, I was in that (laughs) same boat, um, and I think I was probably a little bit overwhelmed with all the information and like a lot of people I think in the wellness industry came from a personal journey of mine mm-hmm. um my previous background I actually worked in in fashion in mostly PR but I did a bit on the editorial side as well mm-hmm. um yeah so I did that for 13 years uh, very high paced um lots of pressure sleeping with the blackberry underneath the pillow oh not eating well not sleeping very well um you know, pretty much a modern day lifestyle, yeah. and uh, I kind of essentially burnt out, started getting a lot of infections that weren't clearing up, and I kept going back to the GP and, um, you know, getting referrals and whatnot, and, uh, you know, ended up saying, oh, well, you know, you're just going to have to take a, an antibiotic prophylactically, 
ongoing. And I just thought at that point, this cannot be good. This mm-hmm. can't be the answer. And so I just kind of, I guess, started poking around like a lot of people do to start with, just trying to, you know, find some different answers, mm-hmm. really. Um, and I ended up seeing a naturopathic nutritionist um, who it was the first time I'd ever even heard about what the adrenal glands were. Like, what are those? Those tiny little glands. Those little walnut glands that do so much. And we pummel them into submission Mm. on a day-to-day basis. So I was kind of like, oh, I've got... So what is it? Adrenal fatigue. And he's like, yeah, you're you're pretty much flatlining here. I've never seen... Final stage adrenal fatigue. Yeah, I was... I'd gone up and come right back down. And, um, you know, it's like... With the adrenals, as you kind of, I think you did a podcast on this before, mm. but, you know, you can't just keep maxing them out. Mm. You know, it's like uh, the battery does run out eventually. Mm. So I, I had got to the point where there was literally nothing left there. So it was about building back up my strength. And a lot of that is, and this is the hardest thing, actually, lifestyle changes. Mm. Because, you know, I can get clients to, you know, change their diet, eat a bit more yeah. oily fish or, you know, up their greens or whatever. But when you say to them, okay, try and switch off your BlackBerry an hour before you go to bed, or your phone, whatever mm. it is, and not look at the blue light and get some sleep and do some things that actually put your body into that rest and digest versus fight or flight mode, mm. that is a, that can be a lot harder for a lot of mm. people. Um, because getting off that proverbial sort of, it's almost like a hamster in a wheel mm. thing, is the thought of jumping off is actually... A, kind of quite hard but um but it makes you feel more anxious than the anxi- high levels of anxiety that you're used to yeah so you default back to actually what's the state of damage <laughs> yeah no totally I've got a lot of clients who I've they've come in for consultations and then I've said look I really think that we need to do some tests to work out a little bit what's going on I mean I do work functionally so I do use things like saliva testing to look at cortisol levels and actually that's how I found out that mine was so low but I also use things alongside that, like stool testing and blood tests, because you need a whole picture. Mm. It's not about having one test and looking at one set of results, because the body all works in, you know, together, so mm. you can't like, isolate specific organs. But you know, you'll say to them, oh, you know, yes, we need to do some testing, and they're so, they say, that's too stressful for me to do the test, so it's like, mm. they'd rather just keep going on this wheel rather than sort of jumping off, so... Yeah, so for me it was a bit of a like, well, okay, I'll try anything because I just didn't really want to be taking, you know, a fairly young age, that sort of medications ongoing. And, you know, we know now that antibiotic, antibiotics are life-saving, of course, and amazing and, you know, God, you know, great that they're, they're there. But, mm. you know, this constant kind of overuse of them we do know is becoming a problem. Um, and I was kind of aware of, okay, this, you know, my body shouldn't need this ongoing. So that's how I got into then rebalancing and getting my body into much more of a robust state. And I was just so empowered by it that I just thought, actually, God, you know, this is really quite, in, on, on a basic level, this is quite simple things, mm. but just life-changing. And I really just wanted to do that for other people. Mm. I mean, my degree was in psychology anyway, so I think I was always was meant it? to be a therapist. And I have this kind of penchant with people that I'll just be sat on a bus and people just feel the need to tell me problems. I think that I am just naturally one of those people yeah. that will be a therapist. Um, so it kind of was a better fit in a lot of ways. But um, I think having had a career in such a fast-paced industry means that I resonate with a lot more of my clients because 
I understand the pressures mm-hmm. and I'm not going to be saying, you know, getting them to do things that are just not going to you know, work on a day-to-day basis. I mean, certainly they do need to make changes, mm-hmm. obviously, but at least you can have a bit more of an understanding and empathy. Yeah, because you know um, what it's like to get a, a narky email from a editor slash boss slash whatever it is. Yeah. And how, if that happens at 11 o'clock at night, you will not sleep. No, exactly. But that's more of the reason to just not check the phones because, mm. you know, what's the worst case that you just don't reply to the email until the next day and at least you'll have had a good night's sleep. So, yeah, I think... That, and also it's about almost like changing our mindset when we are constantly wired and tired that's mm. the, the, the chat I've called it wired and tired in my new book actually it's just about the gut um, and how the gut relates back to that whole kind of adrenal picture as well because mm. you know stress doesn't just come from the outside it's also physio- physiological stuff that's happening as well but you know if we're in that sort of constant wired and tired mode we don't make the best decisions anyway so what would be say you know, an email that you might, in a more kind of calmer state, have a different reaction to mentally mm. when you're tired and it's late at night, it affects you sort of tenfold more. Mm. So putting in those things, I think, day-to-day practices that help us to kind of almost manage our mindset a little bit better help yeah. as well. And there are four stages of adrenal fatigue, aren't there? And i done a bit of research on this recently for a mm-hmm. feature, and it really alarmed me that most of us, but this is what was stated in the feature, so I would be interested if you could corroborate, many of us um, dip in and out of levels one and two constantly. Probably, yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting because it's not obviously a recognised, you know, mm. um, condition of sorts. Yeah, I mean, you can't do a checklist you know, for level one. But no, because, I mean, you know, from, a, from a medical point of view, you know, you've got the real extremes of the spectrum, Addison and Cushing's, mm. where the adrenal glands are either, you know, um, producing too much cortisol or too, too less. But, you know, that, that sort of bit in the middle, there is probably a large proportion of people that actually sort of fall into that. Mm. Um and that's because of the nature of our lifestyles. You know, the adrenals, there's three things that, on a basic level, that they need sleep, good quality sleep. Caffeine and alcohol are both kind of very detrimental in large amounts, as is sort of sugary foods. Now, if you think about our lifestyles, we're like topping ourselves up with coffee, mm-hmm. finishing the end of day, which is late, then having wine to try and re- like relax. Mm-hmm. So our sleep is then not good. Um, and then we get up in the morning... And it's like, eat, sleep, rave, repeat, isn't it? It's that whole thing, you know, you get up and you start having the coffee again. So we're going eat, to this sleep, whole... rave, repeat. Yeah. But then I will fool myself into drinking a glass of red wine, thinking that will help me sleep. Well, again, it depends on the person. I do actually, um, I will often refer to it as a medicinal glass of red. No, and there's a lot of benefit. I've written a lot, I've actually written an article about the benefits of natural wines natural biodynamic wines and you know yes i mean it's everything in moderation mm. and, and you know like i said coffee's not bad for you but if you are somebody that's really in a state of hyper adrenal functioning or very low actually mm. then that's not going to be the best thing for you and it's like are you i also think it's the context in which we're having these things so if you're having a glass of wine with friends and you're sort of it's within a social setting if you're going home and just sitting there and just glugging a glass of wine Mm. that's a completely different way of using wine Mm. to relax if you know what I mean um I mean you can do these things where they use heart variability monitors 
as well that can measure, which is a bit more, a lot more detailed. Um, so if you're writing a feature on adrenal fatigue, I definitely get you to do one of these. Yeah. So it measures your heart variability through the day. So it will show you when you're kind of you're getting more stressed essentially, mm. and it will show the difference between physical and more kind of emotional type of stress. And that's quite well, fascinating that's actually because you know some people do react very differently to alcohol. Like they will. I mean, certainly sort of spike in the middle of the night if they've had too much and their body doesn't necessarily agree with it. So oh, I thought you were different. getting belligerent and rude. <laughs> what, yeah. Is that too? Well, there is that slightly well. aggressive. Yeah, but some people actually, they go into almost like recovery mode when they're having, you know, a glass of wine with friends. So mm. again, it depends on the context a lot of the time as well. It's like a mental cue, isn't it? A glass of mm. red wine with your mates and, and your blood pressure probably drops. Yeah, but it's a combination of the wine and being with people mm. because there's a lot of research now about, you know, loneliness and all the impact of having, um, a, you know, a good solid base of people and support network around mm. you and, and how that supports longevity and health. Isn't that wonderful to know in a, in a lifetime when we can communicate and socialise perfectly well? Yeah from the bed via a tablet. <laughs> yeah. It's really unhealthy. No, it is. I mean, flesh contact with other human beings mm. is so important. I mean, they did this, and I can't, don't, I can't quote the study, but it was a really comprehensive study, and, and it's, they looked at... Now the, the people in the study, I think they're octogenarians or whatever now, they're just, you know, they're very old sort of um, mm. stage of life, but they tracked them from, say, sort of their 20s and evaluated their health and well-being... Um, and there was a massive correlation between those that had, you know, good marriages or people around them, supportive people. And I've heard about this study. I yeah. Think, is it Gad Sad or Gad yeah, something like about that. it yeah. on the Joe Rogan podcast? Yeah. So sometimes I think we think that there's this magic pill or we've got to eat the perfect diet and actually sometimes it's just about really simple things that make us happy. Mm. Um, and definitely from adrenal fatigue, it starts with the lifestyle stuff first. You know. So what would you say is the, is, is that the thing that is most commonly identified through your clients, people come through the door, and would you say that a larger portion of them are dealing with this adrenal fatigue? Um, yeah, well, yes and no. Uh, yeah, I very rarely think it's one thing or one, so sure. if somebody's suffering from adrenal fatigue, the chances are there are other things going on as well, um, you know, because we do tend to try and Sometimes it's foods, often foods get vilified, you know, mm. typically things like gluten, dairy, all of those, sugar even, you know. Um, so it's very rarely one factorial. I definitely say gut stuff, for sure. Um, I mean, you ask anyone on the street, there's very few people who tell you they've got perfect digestion, and if they say that, they're probably lying. True. So Because I actually looked at your website, and one of the subheadings is good health depends on digestive balance mm. and I really want to talk to you about that I'm one of those people I told you this just before we went on air which was really personal um I'm one of those people where I will know I'm out of kilter by how my digestion is yeah which TMI is great <laughs> <laughs> yeah no and that's great you know because I mean look those sayings gut instinct go with your gut mm. gut feeling then they're not there for no reason actually mm. and you know we know that there is obviously a direct connection between the brain and the gut via the vagus nerve um you know you've got a whole nervous system in the gut called the enteric nervous system and like some people say that's your second brain and i was just saying to you you could actually call it your first brain because mm. the gut's doing so much more than we actually sort of 
give it credit for. But um, yeah, a lot of people don't necessarily listen to their gut very mm. often. You know, I think we get so a kind of maybe it comes back down to the whole thing of just I'm just too busy to deal with it type mm. thing. Um, but I often see clients that come to me because perhaps they've been having a few more spots mm. or they might have put on a bit of weight. And so that becomes their more kind of uh, pressing issue. But actually, when you talk to them, they've been having digestive issues for like 15, 20 years, you know, chronic pains. And I'm like, why would you have put up with that for such a long time? Um, so often I think people do ignore that. But the, the gut is, you know, all that our bodies will give us signs when it's not happy. And certainly the gut is, you know, on many levels, the core centre of our health mm-hmm. and well-being. So. so it is, I mean... I've been doing a lot of reading at the moment about lifestyle changes mm-hmm. and it does seem to be that if you make if you do the things that we all know are good for us so if you don't sleep with your mobile phone next to you if you limit you know you, as you say turn your mobile off before um an hour before you go to bed yeah if you perhaps walk don't, you know don't rush everywhere and if you don't try and overload yourself all of the things with the gut will tend to not fall into place as such but they all work together for a mm. more sort of um, resilient, calmer physical yeah. being. Well, you can't be in rest and digest at the same time as being in fight or flight. Mm. It's physically impossible. So the more that you put your body into that mm. rest and digest, of course digestive processes are going to work a lot more efficiently. You know, it's just simple things like chewing your food properly, mm. sitting down and eating your food properly, make a huge amount... I mean bloating one of the most common things that people talk about and yet they're bolting down their food in less than a minute I mean I actually get my clients to time it and they're like shocked at how quickly they eat their food and usually they're doing it whilst they're writing an email maybe like checking something on their phone at the same time as well so there's like multiple things going on you know a bit of monotasking actually breeds efficiency because you can't do everything well at the same time and so you know People go, oh, God, I don't understand why I'm bloated. And I'm a bit like, well, because you haven't chewed your food and you haven't taken time to eat it. Mm. Um, you know, it's another reason why actually we overeat because by the time the, the hormones in our gut have kicked in to mm. say, okay, we're full now, we've, we've already overconsumed. Mm. So that's why people eat a sandwich really quickly and then they go, oh, I'm actually still hungry. It's like, no, you're not. Actually, you just haven't allowed the body to just catch up a bit with what yeah. you've just di- or digested in inverted commas <laughs> more like inhaled I just I listened to a podcast the other day with Anna Kendrick and she was talking about um how she eats because you know the whole kind of Hollywood focus oh, yeah. on everything and she said something that made me laugh so loud when I was on the tube when I was listening to it she said she treats her body like a dumpster that's on fire just like throw one thing at it and then be so frightened of doing anything she just leaves it alone for a bit and she'll throw something else really terrible into it yeah, yeah. A, lot of, a lot of people are like that I have told you that I do have a text message to read to you yes and this does seem like a good time because it sort of breeds into um, unhealthy relationships with food and I actually did text my friend this is a conversation genuine conversation yeah. I had with my friend last night and I texted her this morning and said can I because I asked her I told her I was interviewing you and I said please can I read um, read this out on the podcast She's not going to be named and shamed. I'm not going to name her. I wouldn't do that. I'm shaming myself, horribly. (laughs) So she and I have known each other for years, and we are girls whose weights go... Our weight goes up and it goes down. When we've got it in control, awesome. But when when we're flailing like fools, it's it's ridiculous. Anyway, 
So I said to her, I'm interviewing this amazing nutritionist and nutritional therapist tomorrow. Anything that you want to know the answer to. And she said, ask them how the F to keep out of a biscuit tin when you're hanging hungry on a Thursday, but don't have any points slash calories slash macros left for one and you haven't managed to work out since the weekend before last. My reply, they never really answer those questions, you know. Actually, they do, but it's with some inconvenient truth, like have a glass of water and wait 20 minutes. They don't know the struggle. She responds, no one has ever done that in the history of ever. My reply, they may have done, but we'll never know because those aren't our people. She said, they may as well say, cut off your left thumb and lick the bin. <laughs> I replied, I've never licked a bin, but I may have thrown away food in an attempt not to eat it and then gone back and retrieved it and eaten it. She says, I used to tap fag ash onto leftovers so as not to eat anymore. I became very good at scraping fag ash off old lasagna. My reply, I get great comfort from the fact that you have similar issues with food to me and have not been institutionalised. It makes me feel my freedom is not an accident. And then she said, I, we aren't normal. I used to follow Davina McCord on Twitter. She posted from Boxing Day one year, something like, I'm a guard, huge amazing family meal, just ate a massive piece of brie wedged between two digestive biscuits. Greedy. I still love Davina, but I love her a little bit less than before. She doesn't understand the greed. And I said, I hate that it's greed. And then she talks about the fact that I've realised that my relationship with food and drink is something I will always have to work on. I said I wish I was a sex addict. And she said, I'm either weighing Maltesers individually or eating a whole chicken standing up in the kitchen with my coat still on. This is madness. I said, there's no such thing as a happy medium with us. And her final reply, I would be happy to be a medium. <laughs> so that is obviously a very... Sorry, that's me dropping my phone. That is um, obviously a very unhealthy emotional connection to food. Yeah, but unfortunately, I think that's the state that we've got ourselves in now, the real extremes. Like she said, you know, pedantically weighing out Maltesers and whatnot and putting things into these apps and, you know, tracking macros and all of this kind of stuff. And I just think that, you know, it just, we need, we do need a bit more moderation. That's the problem. That's, mm. you know, and it's okay to have biscuits once in a while I mean ramming your face into the whole tin maybe not um but we've all but I think I think we've all oh you know even as a, you know, as a nutritionist that you know there's moments where we all feel that kind of like all sense of kind of slumping but then it's about working back a little bit and you know there may be odd occasions where like you know you might slip into sort of old habits but it's about really having a bit more of a longer term approach to it rather than obsessively doing stuff one part of the time and then because you know we have got our inner rebel right so the more we say to ourselves right you can't have that right you've got to track this right you've got to weigh that the more you're going to be precipitating yourself towards having Mm. a a meltdown moment yeah and whether that's the brie or the biscuits whatever it is so you know I think if you can just be a bit more sort of balanced on gen- and say to yourself that no food is bad mm. i think that this whole thing about vilifying foods then makes us feel like they're all bad mm. and that we have to then go oh no and then you want them more mm. because that's just the nature of being a human being so i would say there's definitely that sort of sense of just allowing yourself the freedom to be able to eat anything you want to start with um for a lot of people not everybody because obviously when we're, we're not talking mm. about severe eating disorders cause that's something else yeah. but um you know, that sort of scenario is, I think, is more common than we think. But we also um, say, privately, when we, we discuss it, we say it is a lack of control. Whereas on the other end of the scale, you have someone trying to elicit too much control over mm-hmm. what they consume. This is equally as damaging in some ways. Yeah. But it's the lack of control. Yeah. 
And when, when you were saying, the reason I sort of brought in that um, text conversation is because you were talking about the hormonal response that lets you know you're full. We've both talked about that saying, we must be missing that, hom- that hormone. Well, no, this actually then comes back down to what I was going to come around to as well, is that, okay, there is the psychological stuff that's going on also like you know we do know that blood cortisol works alongside um sugar levels so if you're feeling particularly stressed that's why most people when they're stressed they do go on these binges Mm. because there's that direct correlation there but on a more physiological level um you know if there are imbalances in the gut that will also with the the bacteria in the gut specifically they'll drive cravings for sugar if you've got a huge amount of say yeasts for instance they love a bit of sugar mm-hmm. so if you've got some imbalances in the gut or you don't have enough of the beneficial microbes to crowd out the pathogenic bacteria you might be able to blame some of those microorganisms for those <laughs> cravings in a way you know what I mean so then it comes back down to you know functional testing because I and I've got a client that springs to mind immediately now that, you know, she was like, thought she could never crack sugar cravings, ever. And she's just like, it's amazing. We did, like, obviously worked um, on a functional level, looked at her amounts of bacteria and readdressed them. And she's just like, I never thought I could never have, like... So there is definitely physical stuff that goes on with that, um, which will drive those types of cravings. So how do you know what is going on with your gut bacteria and how that can... Yeah, so, I mean, ideally you want to work with a practitioner that's going to do a stool analysis test mm-hmm. and they would look at... Um, How's that for you? Well, I don't deal with it up close and personal. <laughs> no, um, I would say, you know, most of my clients, I'd say it's a good thing for them to do because, you know, let's be honest, you can have the most amazing diet in the world, you can take all these incredible supplements, you can make all the lifestyle changes, you can do all of that stuff, mm. but if you've got fundamental imbalances in the gut, how much of that are you absorbing at the mm. end of the day? So, you know, the thing is, you are what you eat, but actually you are what you absorb at the end of the day. So uh, I do think that it's really, you know, it's quite incredible, the stuff that comes out of these um, stool tests in terms of you know where there might be imbalances and explains a lot of symptoms in clients. Really? So yeah, we'll look at microorganisms in the gut. So we'll look at you know the beneficial bacteria. So you know people might know the sort of term probiotics. So those mm-hmm. are the bacteria that help you know uh, produce things like oh, certain vitamins, um, regulate the immune system. Um, you know certain bacteria have been linked to things. You know, uh, in terms of weight, they've seen a skew in different types of species in people that have a tendency towards obesity. So that's another area that's massively, a massive amount of research going into. Um, you know, even linked to certain you know irritable bowel disorders. So the whole area of microorganisms and the microbiota, which are all the bacteria in our gut, which we've got trillions of. Mm-hmm. So for every one cell, we're ten bacteria one human cemetery, so we are actually more bacteria than we're humans. Relatively new science, actually, um, but the area is just exploding, so there's lots of things that can be sort of linked to that. So the tests will look at that, they'll look at things like how, you know, if you've got any overgrowth of, say, um, the more pathogenic bacteria that will create disruption in the gut. What does pathogenic mean? So, yeah bacteria that create symptoms essentially or can potentially create symptoms um you know and everybody's gut's different you know some people can have one course of antibiotics and it totally throws out their gut other people can have three and they don't really feel anything um so we're we're all kind of different there 
Um, but it does allow you to sort of see where potentially there might be things that are impairing digestion um, in terms of, you know, overgrowth of certain bacteria that you don't necessarily want in there. So like yeasts and parasites and... Okay, so... If it's so, you can buy probiotic drinks. Yes. And you can take probiotic and prebiotic supplements. Yes. But if you haven't dealt with what your actual gut is doing, then is it actually a waste of your money and time to just put them on? on well, spec? you could say look, in an ideal world, you would obviously work a bit more um, strategically. So, mm-hmm. in an, yes, you would do the test, and then you'd understand that. Um, but probiotics, if you you know, if you're putting in more of... Think of it sort of... It's almost like the doorman in a nightclub. So if you've got two... Loads <laughs> I love of, your analogy. Yeah, so if you've got loads of the... If you've got lots of the probiotic species in the gut, they will sort of, in a healthy digestive system, more often than not, be like, get out, mate, you're not coming in. So mm-hmm. they, you know, crowd out the more pathogenic bacteria. If the gut's got to into, into a state where you're really depleting those probiotics, you don't have... The security on the door and people are just coming in willy-nilly and creating quite a lot of disruption then that's where you need to kind of address it so for some people taking some probiotics will is you know dramatically change their gut because fundamentally they don't have too much of an imbalance let's mm-hmm. say um but for other people it just needs a bit more of a deeper understanding okay and what's the so probiotics is the good stuff the good bacteria yeah and what's prebiotic? So prebiotics are things that feed the beneficial bacteria in the gut. So probiotics deliver direct, well, depending on the type of probiotic, actually, because mm-hmm. that's a whole area mm-hmm. um, that we could talk about, you know, as in the efficacy and the survivability of the species. Like, do they actually get to the, where, the you know, gut, the, the yeah. gut itself? Um, but you've got your probiotics that deliver direct live microorganisms or micro or microorganisms that can populate in the gut. Mm-hmm. And then you have prebiotics, which are substances that help to feed the bacteria. So once it's in there, you want to basically top them up with nutrients that help them to survive. But you can get that through your food as well. You know, okay. things like... Um, raw gar- or cut garlic as least cooked as possible. Onions... Garlic. Bananas that are underripe um, are great. I'm actually trying to think of a good recipe for the book because not everybody wants Arlequee to eat chalky bananas. <laughs> mm, nice. Um, but blended up, they're great. Um, no, actually, tiger nuts, which is a new thing. That's well, actually, they're not. They've been around for a while. Apparently, they were big in the seventies. So my mum tells me. But um, yeah, tiger nuts are great. They're another type of prebiotic. So they do provide these sort of certain types of starches and fibre, soluble fibre, that help to feed the beneficial bacteria in the gut. So, we do, yeah, definitely need to take in lots of prebiotic stuff. But if you've got somebody with really quite severe IBS or digestive symptoms, sometimes going a bit mad on the prebiotics can make a whole... There's a whole trumpeting circus that goes on down there because oh, they will feed... Yes, and that's why a lot of people who find... FODMAPs diets quite useful because those are the type of foods in FODMAPs diets. Have you heard of FODMAPs? So FODMAPs are something that they've used more, they do use them in sort of a clinical setting like dietitians and things like that are starting to use those diets with IBS patients and um, because of the the nature of the, there's certain types of carbohydrates um, that will feed bacteria in the gut. So they will feed the beneficial bacteria but they'll also maybe feed the lesser friendly bacteria and they can create a lot of unpleasant sort of bloating and wind and gas and that type of stuff right. okay. 
So you've got to be you've got to go easy with that stuff if you've got some IBS and digestive symptoms mm. with the prebiotics. Do you feel like a lot of people just assume that they have IBS now and it's almost like a given it's just part of having a job or it's part of being a mum or it's part of mm. life these days? Oh yeah, definitely. I, I definitely see clients like we were talking about earlier that you know, they'll have had digestive issues for pretty much their whole life. They'll just be like, oh, yeah, but I've always had that. Um, and that sort of seems a given. And I'm a bit like, you know, I think we need to sort of tune in a bit to even the small things that show that our body's out of whack a bit, you know. And we don't, a lot of the time we do ignore that because it's just not important enough until something really major happens mm-hmm. health-wise acutely. And then we do have to address it. But there's certainly a lot of people walking around with, minor if not quite major digestive issues going like day to day that are quite debilitating um you know because IBS at the end of the day is a, you know it's a diagnosis of exclusion there isn't really a, a you know known cause for it but as far as I'm concerned as a nutritionist it's about finding out the cause for that specific person right. because there'll always be a cause it's just working out what it is so it might be that you might find on a stool test that they have excessive amounts of yeast let's say for instance and once you clear the yeast and help them to rebalance with probiotics actually they then find that the digestive symptoms disappear you know so it's about working with the individual and their individual gut Mm. to see where there might be issues there you're making me feel like everybody should have um a nutritional therapist (laughs) it just seems like good sense well i you know I don't know, yeah, I mean, in some ways I do think that there's, a, obviously, look, we can't sort of, it's, it's quite scary for me that there's a lot of people that don't realise that what you put in your mouth and what you feed your body has an effect on how it performs, mm. genuinely, they don't see the correlation between what you eat and how you feel. You've got to use very bolt saying he had chicken nuggets before he won a gold and it, and it throws everyone out of whack, yay, chicken nugget time. Yeah, but he also, yes, fine. And, and great, you know, and we should have those moments, definitely. You know, life's too short. And in a robust gut and a robo- robust system, you should, our body should definitely be able to handle that well and whatever. Mm. It's just, it's more the cumulative effect and the, the load on the gut. So it's not one meal that's mm. going to make you feel rubbish. It's more the... Accum- and that guy, you know, he might have had chicken nuggets that one time, but... He's also got dietitians that work with him ongoing. So for the rest of the time, he's quite well monitored. He doesn't drink alcohol. You know, there's a lot of factors that are in... He's got a lot of support around him. Um, So that comes from the mindset and the psychological... You know, so that it's not one... So people do tend to jump on that one thing and go, oh, yeah, well, that's fine. You know, if he's having it, then I can have... Mm. you know chicken nuggets that's another thing there's so much conflicting information Mm -hmm. you can pick up one magazine or listen to one podcast or one snippet and someone's telling you to count your macros so you I say you I mean me because I did this recently spent hours working out you know what what a waste of time (laughs) what your macros are then you're fully into that and you're like two weeks into it and you're saying to all your friends oh my god it's amazing life changing and then you read something else that says that's nonsense and you should be, I don't know, gluten-free. And then, and then you go to Whole Foods and spend more money than is sensible. Yeah. So there's lots of conflicting information. Do you find that that also is perhaps where all the complication comes in and people perhaps don't know necessarily how to feed themselves? And so 
perhaps yeah. don't feed themselves well. No, yeah, I, I mean, gosh, the industry, it, it's so confusing. I mean, even as a nutritionist, there's all these research and things coming out all the time, but I definitely would say this. It's entirely individualistic. Mm. You know your body better than anybody, so you know how it works. And there's not one diet or one thing that's going to fix that. People do, we tend to want this sort of magic pill, so we'll chuck money at the latest superfood powder mm-hmm. or this supplement that our friend told us has changed. And it may well have done for them because that's what they need, but that might not be good for you. So mm-hmm. I do think there's a lot of chucking good money after bad mm-hmm. and going, you know, spending huge amounts of money going and doing these, like, you know, really expensive, you know, complicated regimes when you know really at the end of the day I mean obviously I work functionally I think if you did a bit of functional testing and just sort of almost sat back a little bit and looked at things a bit more critically Mm. and evaluated things on that level that you'd save a lot of time and money Mm. in the long run and working prescriptively in a way as opposed to just haphazardly trying to follow a diet and I mean I've seen some of these diets and they are so restrictive they're Mm. not and this is why it comes back to the biscuit tin episode, because, you know, frankly, if I was following that, some of those diets, I would want to be doing that because mm. they're so hard to follow. They're not, I mean, a lot of it's based on none to very little research anyway. Mm. And even if it is, what, how do you know that that's good for your particular body? So, yeah, it, you know, it then lends into a, a feeling of rebellion because if you're out and you're sat with your friends and you go through the menu and you literally can't eat anything on there, mm. of course you're going to be starving, your blood sugar levels are going to have dropped, your cortisol levels are going to be high, you're going to be really stressed, you're going to be emotionally high-strung, hey presto, there's the hobnobs, go for it, you know? Or so, you choose something on the menu because you think, I don't want to be that friend, but in the back of your mind you're going, you you absolute rotten failure. Oh, yeah, I think there's a lot, of, and I do think there's a lot of pressure on, you know, and not to be, but on women in particular actually mm-hmm. to have to do it all, to have it all, and yeah, this kind of real sort of, um, yeah, we do tend to sort of beat ourselves up, particularly when it comes to nutrition. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's about working on a much more individual basis as opposed to trying to be skewed by the latest article and the latest supplement and that type of thing and it's easier said than done because obviously you want to believe that that next new thing is going to be the one thing Mm. but I think if you can find yourself a therapist that works with you and your body Mm. you'll definitely start to see more changes that way than yeah going along with the latest fad yeah and it isn't just about what clothes size you're fitting into or or weight we're talking about like quality of life and um, energy levels as well yeah but you'll find that they the whole when the body gets set on the right trajectory it will naturally what the body's very good at healing itself and when we talk Mm. about having to do these massive detoxes and oh the liver's overburdened actually detoxes and those sorts of things i mean you know generally on a general level i think a lot of the time they're, they're not very that you're not going to get huge amounts of results from them in the long term mm. you might see short-term fixes but actually long term is it really going to address what you need to do on a fundamental level um a lot of people do like will go on a detox retreat or do some sort of detox as a kickstart because they yeah. think if i can just lose 10 pounds in one week then i'll feel so much better about committing to x y or z diet I mean, I think they're good from a mindset point of view for certain people that just need to put a stop on repetitive behaviours, definitely. Mm. And they also can create some healthier habits because if you're, say, juicy, I mean, let's just say you're not doing it, you know, you may be doing it somewhere far flung, but let's say you are doing it in London or whatever Mm. in your normal environment, then, 
you know, eating, you, you forget how much time spent thinking about what you're going to eat and preparing it and all of that, what it should be anyway. Mm. Um, so it, you've got sort of free time. So then you kind of can fill it up with more, say, healthier habits of things that you can do. So then mm-hmm. coming off the back of it, you might then say, oh, well, I'm going to keep going to that yoga class. So you might develop more healthier habits from it. So I think, um, you know, from a behavioural point of view, sometimes it can be beneficial. But from a physical point of view, there's very little evidence to suggest that, that there's mm-hmm. any differences. And you know, if you have got, say, some overgrowth of bacteria in the gut, then sometimes that's making a bad situation worse. Mm. But so I think it's a very different. It's very individualized for that. Yeah. I would say that doing the aspect of going away though and being in an environment that is conducive to rest resting is probably the most beneficial part of that. Right. Rather than the juicing itself, it's just being in an environment where you're allowing the body to be in that rest and digest. Mm-hmm. Because that will also allow the body to start naturally healing itself anyway. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Do you find, we talked about this, the brain, the stomach being the second brain slash first brain. Yeah. Do you feel that, um, or have you found, or would you say there's evidence out there to suggest that if you meditate, do yoga, those particular types of activity that actually sort of try to bring the body and the mind into mm-hmm. sync... Do you feel that that's also incredibly helpful for digestive health? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there is research to suggest about how you know, um, even from like they've done studies with people with depression and anxiety and using yoga and meditation and and the power that that has definitely. I mean, and also you know, studies aside. It's an ancient practice, mm. you know. Sometimes you've just got, you know, like that. Obviously, I'm, I'm big into my research, but I think it's proven itself by now. <laughs> so, and you know what? I think people have to understand that you don't have to sit on a cushion and start omming. Mm. You, you know, things day to day tasks. Like I've got this great book that I recommend to clients called um, "How to Eat" by Tick Nathan. He's a very famous Buddhist monk. But it's little mini meditations. And in there, he talks about how washing up can be meditative. Because we shove shove things in the dishwasher, but sometimes you can have the most creative thoughts when you're doing the most, you know, menial tasks, Mm. like ironing or Mm. doing the washing up. So that can be meditation. You know, simply walking, but just letting your mind sort of free a bit. Mm. We don't necessarily have to be sat going, right, I'm going to meditate now. Because for a lot of people, that can actually be quite stressful. Yeah. Um... But yeah, it definitely comes back down to that rest and digest. If you, the more you're in that state of relaxation, the more you're allowing digestive processes to and the gut to function, you know, as it as it yeah. should be. And stimulation, yeah. because um, I was talking to my brother the other day, and he said that he uh, where did he go? He went for a short walk. He had to go and post a letter or something, and he forgot his headphones. And he said he got into a real panic. He thought. What am I going to listen to? What am I going to do? Because we're all either... I mean, I am constantly plugged into podcasts. But is there an argument for actually sometimes completely disconnecting? Yeah, if you try to do it... I mean, it's very hard for a lot of people. Mm. Um, I mean, we are dis- we are addicted to distraction. Mm. We're addicted to distraction. Um, you know, the term adrenaline junkie isn't just a throwaway term. Now, mm. I think a lot of us probably fit into that mould. Um, you know, there's this guy, James Mansell, he wrote a book called Stuffocation, where we just need stuff mm. I actually did this interview I myself with um, Marie Kondo have you seen this lady so she basically it's about the art of sort of tidying up essentially but it's this notion of you know 
we should have joy in everything in our homes and like mm. tidying obviously or decluttering is helping to declutter the mind because mm. we do tend to just think we need stuff around us and whether that's you know stimulation like you said from your brother listening to something but yeah, yeah. that whole addiction to distraction is quite a big thing I think it's very hard for people to just even sit and have a meal without checking their phones mm. or checking an email or watching tv or doing all of those things actually well I mean I'm terrible for always having something on I I work from home a lot and I just I like to have a podcast on in the background or the tv's on just because it's nice to not have complete mm-hmm. silence but um I also am beginning to understand that's probably not very healthy well I mean it's it's not unhealthy it's just that it's again it comes back to the load you know mm-hmm. I mean this is it comes back to the whole I mean sorry to keep coming back to the biscuit thing but you know it's like it's it's not the one thing that's gonna it's, it's all of it together so if there are moments where you can shut off then it's fine then to have but you know even using things like classical music and rather if it is the noise that you just that we need in the background then even that's a bit more soothing than having things constantly on the go because also mm. you know it's a bit like how much of that are you actually taking in and absorbing mm. when you've got so many stimulants going on at the same time i listened to the tim ferris podcast when he was writing his new book mm. tools of the titans or tools of titans he said that he would listen to the same song over and over again yeah and i completely understand that because once you've listened to it a few times it's you completely switch off and it probably sort of hurtled him towards writing very well yeah because his brain didn't have to concentrate on it and knew what the next note was do you know yeah that sort of brain is a a funny thing again another thing i learned from um him and quite a few other people i've had another podcast guest who's uh, done this is fasting right yeah so i want to pick your brains about this the idea of 24 hour or building up to 72 hour fasts in order to um then basically the growth of unhealthy cells. I'm going to use the word cancer here because this is what was mm-hmm. in this particular research that I looked at. The idea that if you actually starve your body, um, it doesn't feed. And what am I trying to say? It it stops the proliferation of these bad cells within the body. I mean, I, you know, I have to say, I, I mean, I'm not going to sort of reference things like you know, as massive a topic as cancer with this yeah. because I think that. A, one, one person's cancer is entirely different to somebody else's, mm. entirely. Mm. And I really, you know, that aside, fasting aside, all of this stuff aside, I think you've really just got to think about the individual and mm. what they need. And for some people, you know, I wouldn't say that I use fasting regularly in my clinic. Um, I might use it with certain types of irritable bowel disorders when they're in a flare-up. Right. Um, but it's not something I would advocate necessarily ongoing for clients. Um, in most cases, you know, that's the sort of situation. And also, you know, I think it sort of comes back around a bit to this having an unhealthy relationship with our food and our bodies anyway, because the majority of people, okay, so we're referencing something quite significant there mm. um, in terms of you know, cancer. Mm. Um, but a lot of people, you know, particularly when it comes to nutrition and fasting, they're usually asking me that on a weight loss thing. And so, again, it comes back to actually, no, you need to have a healthy relationship with your food rather than going to these extreme types of situations. Um, so, uh, yeah, sorry, I'm probably skirting the issue a little bit there. But no, but I... I just think it comes down really to an individual 
case by case basis. It's a massive, massive topic, but I just see it being something that guaranteed to twenty seventeen, someone's going to write a massive, massive article about it, and then all of a sudden yeah. people are going to be doing. I mean, there's definitely people that have, that swear by that and use it a lot for various different conditions. Um, you know, for me, when I'm and I have got um, clients that I work with cancer. Uh, you know, it, it really is about helping to moderate the immune system because that's essentially what's gone wrong. Mm. Um, and then that comes back down to the gut and gut health. So for me, it's I look at that as more of the area that I would look to support mm. um, rather than necessarily just going into full fasting. But that's, I mean, it's not an area that I, you know, or, you know, a, a kind of technique that I use a lot, but that's not to say that there's not some research or whatever else it is linked to it in your profile um not your profile what is it your bio that i have yeah. sent over um you i think it actually said that you're quite anti-diets anti-fads anti yeah sort of a lot of these particular things but also that you're um straight talking that mm. wasn't in your bio that is what <laughs> i heard from mutual friends yes um do you think actually sometimes the hard wiring around what people eat um you have to use that approach to sort of break those hard wirings that are sort of ingrained from a very young age yeah sometimes i feel like look some you know people need to know the truth about what's going on with their situations there's no point in necessarily sugarcoating excuse the pun um but i also think it's very very important as a nutritionist or any therapist come to that if you're making recommendations, you have to tell people why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the time you might say, you know, people say, well, my nutritionist put me on this, I don't know, gluten-free diet, okay? And I'll say, oh, well, why have they done that? Oh, I don't know. So obviously then they go, well, actually, I'm sure a bit of gluten's not going to harm me because they haven't been given the knowledge and knowledge is power. And for me, that's a really important part of my practice. I don't want to keep seeing clients. I mean, that's probably, as a businesswoman, (laughs) a terrible thing to think or say. But, you know, the whole thing is that, you know, the fact is that we are going to be eating food three times a day, every day for all of our lives. So, Mm. I, you know, clients can't be reliant on me at every mealtime to be completely like, oh, gosh, I need to check with Eve about what I'm eating. So, Mm. you know, you have to empower them with the right knowledge to understand and work with their body. And their body is completely unique. So you rewire yeah. Life. Yeah, in a, yeah, in a sense. And I think a lot of that starts with the gut as well, mm. because fundamental imbalances there will drive behaviours or or um, exacerbate certain symptoms for sure. Mm. Uh, yeah. Now, one of the other things that comes up when I uh, was looking at your bio, you work with Simprove, is that how you yeah, say Simprove. it? Yeah, Simprove. Simprove. And actually, I first... Um, heard about Simprove because I follow Amy Hopkinson, who's the director oh, yes, of yeah, yeah. Health, and she was doing it, and she did a brilliant post. Now I know Hoppo, and so I then texted her and was like, "This sounds fascinating," and that's actually how this podcast kind of came to be. But um, she wrote that it had, she had been. I think they have a twelve-week program. Yes, yeah. And she had been following it, and she mm-hmm. had noticed significant mm-hmm. changes. And she's probably one of the healthiest people I know. Yeah. And so the fact that, you know, she's very healthy, she goes to the gym a lot, she has her abs. If you go to Instagram, Wellness Ed, um, you will see her abs a lot and she's very fit. But she, even with those changes, 
even with doing something like Simpro, she saw a massive um, difference. So mm-hmm. what what is that? What is the Simpro? Um, yeah, so Simpro is a type of uh, liquid probiotic. Um, so it's essentially the, the beneficial microorganisms that we need in the gut that help to support gut processes. So this is in a, a liquid formulation. Um, got some great research behind it and worked with um, uh, you know, acclaimed gastroenterologists on it. So it's very, it's actually recognised um, in clinical settings now in terms of its efficacy. Because I think a lot of probiotics don't, you know, lots of people say, well, I'll just get any probiotic. Um, but actually, you do need to do a bit of research mm. where that's concerned and maybe do um, invest wisely. And I have obviously used Simprobe a lot in my clinic and seen some really positive results with it. Um, the reason why they, they put you on a 12-week programme is because, well, I mean, that's essentially probably the minimum amount of time that, say, you would expect to see significant results because, you know, it's not just taking one thing on a one-off whim and then expecting the whole ecological system in the gut to start writing mm. itself. So it's about... You know, the idea is obviously putting in more of the beneficial microorganisms helps to um, balance the bacteria in the gut. So, you know, 12 weeks is probably a good amount of time to see those changes. But then it's not about just stopping it after 12 weeks. As people mm-hmm. say, I'll do it for 12 weeks and I'll stop. Because actually, you do need to continue that on. Now, Simpro definitely, you know, is a great one to sort of just continue, you know, ongoing as it were. Um, maybe not quite the same sort of therapeutic dosage mm. but you know then you also need to be mindful about putting in probiotic foods so things like kefir and sauerkraut and kimchi and miso and all of those traditional I mean our ancestors used to pickle everything so we would naturally take in lots of the probiotics through mm. pickling but now when you get pickled onions or whatever it is in you know people go oh is that Branston and I'm like no um because it's got a whole load of sugar and stabilizers and additives and all of that type of stuff in it so it's the traditional pickling and fermenting and all of that type of stuff that does produce the lactobacilli species which are one of the more you know one of the major um Mm. species that we need in the gut or genera actually because there's tons of species underneath them um yeah how many one cell for every one cell there's 10 we're more but yeah, ten cells but we're ten bacteria to every one cell of human human cell versus bacteria cell. Yeah. Nice. And there's trillions of microorganisms in the, I mean it sounds like a sci fi movie, we're talking about sci- yeah. Star Wars earlier, but it's we like you are about Terminator, which made me love you in a very, very <laughs> deep place in my heart because I do love Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, but you, what, can you can you share with the listeners your Terminator analogy? Yeah, so it's really to do with it, because I think we think of the gut as just a straightforward elimination organ, but actually it does so much more. I mean, we could spend hours talking about it, but you know, one of the main things about the gut is the immune system. So we have almost like 80% of our immune cells in the gut, in, um, yeah, in sort of lymphoid tissue called GALT, G-A-L-T, GALT. Um, and within that, you've obviously got lots of, you sort of think about it as a bit of an army. So you've got sort of your T cells, and that's what we were saying about Terminator cells. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then they've got sort of their little gang of macrophages, which essentially are sort of like Pac-Men that come and gobble up debris and bacteria stuff that's sort of lying around. Um, but overseeing all of that is is the beneficial bacteria. So they're the ones that kind of almost put the immune system cells through a boot camp and regulate sort of the T cells on a much higher level. Um, 
I mean, it's an evolutionary thing. I mean, they obviously want an immune system that's not going to sort of kill them off. So mm. they need to be recognised as the safe guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm totally simplifying it, but I think it's an easy, kind of a good way for people to understand that, you know, the gut is just so much more than that, mm. than just, you know, straightforward. Well, you issues. say simplify, but I find this topic so bamboozling, and then you look at some advert on the TV that comes up sort of between I'm a celebrity, and it's like, with El Casai something or other, and you're like, what, should I be having that? What is that? And so you start blindly taking some sort of yoghurt drink. I know, I mean, every morning my father has a, a yoghurt drink to mm. reduce his cholesterol and for good bacteria. And I must admit, there are many times I just think that's like a little shot of yoghurt, really. It's not, I don't think yeah. that's doing you much good. But hey, if it's a placebo. Well, yeah, I mean, it depends on this, the strain or the species that you're taking in. Because mm. um, a lot, you know, some of them can be destroyed in, the, in gastric juice secretion. Mm. So, because your stomach should be like battery acid, basically. But a lot of us, particularly when we're stressed, the body will downregulate um, the production of gastric juice secretion, so you end up with a, with stomach acid that's actually quite alkaline. So you're not, and this is where a lot of gastro symptoms come from, because people will eat, you know, they might even be eating well, they might mm. be chewing their food properly, but if their stomach's too alkaline, they're not necessarily breaking down, or they're allowing pathogens that shouldn't be there that kind of migrate into the small intestine and then create um, lots of symptoms. So... Yeah, first of all, you've got to think about the survivability of of the species in a yoghurt-type drink, Mm -hmm. for a start. So if the stomach acid level is where it should be, on quite a low pH, then it might not even get to the gut in the first place. Uh, Now now I'm confused, because I know that Beyonce did that 22-day alkaline diet, and Mm -hmm. and loads of people are saying how the body should be alkaline. Well, I mean, uh, you know, again... Um, we talk you know, about two different things. Yeah, uh, not, well, not so much. Yeah, it's definitely linked. I think this whole idea that the body needs to be completely alkaline is, is nonsense mm. because you do need different pHs in the body. Yeah. You need to be, it needs to be like... Battery, okay, think about steak because most of our proteins break down in our stomach, mm-hmm. okay, which is actually quite high. Mm. And, you know, reflux and um, heartburn is quite a common symptom that a lot of people get, mm. right? If you think about a steak and you put it in battery acid, what happens? It disintegrates. Right. If you put the same steak in vinegar, what happens? You just sort of make it hard and... So that's the thing. So that's the difference in having a pH that should be at quite a low acidity and then one that is too alkaline. And these diets are not going to necessarily affect that. And actually, food has very little effect on the body's pH generally. We've got very finite mechanism so the body doesn't sway in and out of that pH because if that was the case everybody coming out of subway would be dropping down on in the street so you know really we've got other to think other sandwich retailers are available <laughs> no so it's about okay it comes down to again it's it's the sort of the, the overall load but you know the, the the diets that are kind of out there the alkaline diets or whatever the diet is actually you know might not even be that one um you know, if they're including foods that are, you know, nutritionally sound, it's more about all of the other stuff that's in them, not necessarily mm. to do the alkalinity. It might be, you know, if somebody's saying eat more greens because they're alkaline, well, yeah, but sure, they also have tonnes of B vitamins, magnesium, um, you know, so mm. it's not necessarily just about pH, um, and food will have very little effect on that, actually. So how do you get your stomach acid, like, 
bat- your, yeah, like battery acid? Well, you can do simple. I mean, home tests will can give you a slight indication. So using um, bicarbonate of soda and putting a small amount in a small amount of water first thing in the morning and, and drinking that. And if you burp within three minutes, that shows that your stomach acid levels... I mean, it's very crude testing. This is by no tests. means scientific at all. But it can give a bit of indication. Um, so if you burp within three minutes of taking bicarbonate soda and water, you know that I'm going to do this tomorrow morning, don't you? Then you're probably, your stomach acid levels are probably... You need to do it three days consecutively okay. and first thing in the morning before you've eaten anything. I mean, it's not by any means or anything scientifically related, but it can give an edu- you know an indication. But then, obviously, symptoms. If somebody's having a lot of reflux mm-hmm. and, you know, they may have gone to their GP and been given... PPIs that help to make the stomach more alkaline mm-hmm. and then the symptoms get worse, then you think, okay, well, actually, maybe the stomach isn't... It needs to be more acidic. Mm. So then you work on bringing up acidity in stomach. Right. Mm. Goodness me. Yeah. It, everything is Everything starts with the stomach, doesn't it? Everything starts with the gut, definitely. Yeah. But it's putting everything into context as well. So it's not just like, okay, I'll just write my stomach acid levels and then I'll be fine. I mean, we're talking about that now, but that could be part of a much bigger picture because everybody's got a story. And this is what I love about my job is that I'm just, you know, it's like almost like the next client comes in, I'm like, wow, I really want to understand their story because you you, you can't just look at one area, you can't just look at one thing. You've got to be really mindful of the entire person and everything that they they bring into that. And that's Mm. not, that's physical, that's mental, that's emotional, the whole thing. Mm. So I think, you know, we do tend to get fixated on certain types of things, diets, areas of our body, you know, and actually really it's about looking at the whole a bit more. Um, and you know accepting us for ourselves you know we're constantly trying to find the one thing or the cure in inverted commas Mm. and actually it's never going to be about that it's about accepting ourselves a lot of the time you know yeah it's interesting I was talking to our mutual friend the other day about talking about fitness and diet and whatever and just saying I'm a bit tired of every time not every time I see her but regularly I will share oh I'm doing this at the moment or have you tried that and whether it's boxing or something, you know, something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I said to her, sometimes I get a bit suspicious of you because you never share. And it completely changed my my mind about things because she was like, no, it's actually, oh, you know, you sort of, you, you change your mind about something. And I don't want to be that person who's always on the next fad. I find that embarrassing. And it made me sort of measure myself a bit and go, okay, I'm going to stop bleating on about things two weeks after starting something. <laughs> Because that's what Instagram does, and Instagram is yeah. quite a negative space. Well, it can be. Do you know what? And I and I always thought, you know, yes, God. I mean, some of the stuff that people put up on Instagram, you think, oh, my goodness. Um, but you know what? You choose to take that on board yourself. Mm. You, know, you know, we forget that. We don't need to look at somebody with ripped abs and standing there with a green smoothie and start to feel rubbish about ourselves mm. actually we can look at that same photograph and go well that's good for them yeah i'm just going to do i mean this isn't an always this isn't an easy thing to do actually mm. but um it was interesting i was talking to a friend of mine who works more in the sort of um uh, sort of psychological counseling type area and she was just saying actually it's about changing your mindset a lot of the time to those things mm. so you know yes you could almost think of it as kind of a funny thing that they're just doing these yeah. sort of faddy things 
but actually it's about working with your body and what you feel best supports that. Mm. There's an amazing quote that I think Louise Hay, and it's, I accept myself unconditionally right now. And I think that's amazing because mm. we kind of just live in this like, okay, when I get to a size eight or what, like, yes. when I yeah. was that size eight and you look back at pictures and it's actually like, you know, really about living a bit more presently. Yeah. Because I don't think we're doing enough of that at all. No, I totally agree. I think um, so many things I've read recently are saying no one's living right now. Everyone's living, no. thinking about, should I have done that? Or how will this be? Mm-hmm. And so there's very little sort of presence of mind. No. And Louise Hay, I, did, I only found this out yesterday when I was listening to RuPaul's podcast. She has a 24-hour radio station. Wow. So you can just tune into it Amazing. and it's just full of affirmations and... yeah. Yeah, and I definitely, there's, you know, there's a certain element of that, about mindset, about things. You know, sometimes, you know, I'll put clients on um, on programmes once we've done some functional testing, and it's amazing about the difference in the clients that approach it in a very positive way, as opposed to those that think about it as something more, you know, negatively. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, you're making positive changes to your health, so think about it positively, and yeah... There's definitely a lot to be said about that. I mean, you can't separate mind and body anyway. Yeah. Um, so somebody who comes in and you say you have to make these changes and they don't want to change, but then they reap the benefits, but they're still coming from... Well, that's where my straight talking comes out. Yeah. So I'm like, if you want change to happen, you have to make changes. Yeah. And I think you do, because otherwise you wouldn't have come here. And you again, it's about the knowledge. Once you reiterate, maybe that they've got sort of... with You know, an information overload, not just, you know... Um, from extraneous sources but you know family commitments and whatnot and it's just about helping them to understand why they're doing what they're doing and then they're like more engaged in it as opposed to just saying cut that out and and not really explain why you're doing it or how it's going to benefit them Mm. um knowledge is power and it brings self-empowerment with it Mm. and then that's about people then wanting to make changes for themselves it's a different thing i'm friends with a lot of personal trainers who say that a lot of times the clients aren't paying them to get them fit, they're paying them to tell them what to do mm-hmm. within those 60 minutes and then they've just completely disengaged. But they're engaged for those 60 minute sessions, mm-hmm. but the rest of the time they'll act as normal and then perhaps wonder why they're not getting results. But with you, you're saying, this is, the, this is what you need to do, but I can't handhold you through... Oh no, I definitely I'm not I'm not that brutal. Um, <laughs> no, but you can't go to their home and live with them. No, exactly. I can't be there. I can't be sitting yeah, exactly, sitting on their shoulders. So yeah, that's why I think nutritional therapy is is um is quite is you know, it's difficult in a way because you're not yeah, you're not actively there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not if you're say going for an acupuncture session, you are just you just need to turn up. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in nutrition you yeah, you've got to show up and you've got to put in a bit of the work. Mm-hmm. But it's not I think it's not putting it into like this is you know people kind of can choose to look at it as something like work inverted commas mm. or they can go great I'm so this is so amazing for me because you know by the time you actually add up the time that you'd spent going and ordering food and the money that you'd have paid for it that's not so healthy for you and you could have mm. actually sat and made something and felt quite meditative through it like this whole kind of there's a resurge of all this kind of slow food now and slow cooking and actually using meal times as pockets of recovery in the day. These are simple things that mm. we can that we can do. So I think it is about a lot of the time changing mindset towards your nutrition because mm. I think that also stops the negative 
um, swaying between extreme going really healthy and then reaching for the biscuit tin mm. because your whole mindset is completely shifted towards how you're approaching your food in the first place it's so true it's so true I'm fascinated by this mm. I just honestly feel like everyone should just like come here this is like your, your base point <laughs> like get this in yeah. the right direction and other things will follow but I think as well like you know we did, we talked about how um, a little bit but you know even bacteria in the gut will influence your the way you think I mean there's there's research now coming into how these microbes themselves produce some of the neurotransmitters like GABA and um, dopamine and um, serotonin and we know that 95% of our serotonin receptor sites are in the gut so you know, there's a massive link between IBS and depression, uh, mm. for instance. Uh, you know, you've just got to think about some of those fundamental imbalances may also be driving certain emotional patterns that are coming out about. Mm. So for me, it's about looking at physical alongside the mental, but mental definitely cannot be taken into the picture at all. And that, you know, mm. mindset, positive mindset is a massive error, I think. Mm. Um, if you were to, if you had to have someone, say, come to you, you were to put them on a course or whatever mm-hmm. your diagnosis and what have you would be what physical activities would you um, recommend to most of your clients or is there one that you commonly suggest um, well commonly because I see a lot of people in London with m- busy jobs is definitely not to be going health for leather on the treadmill mm. that's for most people that's not going to be doing them any favors mm. it's going to help push up their cortisol levels and so they're going to be even more stressed and they're doing it for weight loss and obviously that's it's not mm. going to going to hinder that too so uh, you know more of the sort of mindful activities like the yoga and the pilates i think are, are really good mm. but then i do get you know my you know alpha male or alpha female type clients who go right I'm going to go and do yoga and then they go and do the most extreme types of ashtanga bikram type stuff so yeah it's about choosing the right types of yoga and pilates and that type of stuff I worked with a personal trainer on a feature recently who said so many people sort of come up particularly in London Mm -hmm. where he's based come up in London and they're used to that whole deliver 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 be available 24-7 and so that's how they approach everything in life and so that's why they tend to hit the gym. That's why they tend to go to the boxing class at 6am. And they're just burning, 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 yeah. burning. And the kindest thing they could do to themselves is just do yoga twice a week. So they'd be happier. They'd probably lose weight. They'd be in better physical condition. And yeah, they'd sleep better. Their mindset would be more clear. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, I do think that, you know, weight resistance and stuff like that, particularly for, you know, for women is important, mm. particularly going into menopause and whatnot. Um, you know, and muscle strength is a good thing to do, but you know, again, it's about not mm. being punishing with it. Yeah, I'm definitely coming into this podcast from the point of stress, I think, which is why mm. sort of the whole winding down and being kinder to yourself, just mm. because my own experiences, but also I find it really upsetting in the sense that I have a lot of um, friends who are busy, they have high pressure jobs, and I find it really sad that when I sit with them, we're all the, the one common thing is how stressed we are or mm. how we've had a little bit of a weep on the tube or how we can get out of bed on Sunday mm. because everybody is just feeling burnt out and all mm. of the gift I want to give my friends is the key to sort of take that back a step and just be a bit more balanced. Yeah. 
I mean, there's an incredible amount of pressure and it comes from a lot of different angles. So that's why I'm saying like even the most, you know, banal thing of like switching off your phone, at least you're alleviating yourself from that bombardment mm. for an hour in the evening yeah. um, and just simple things like that. But yeah, learning to tune in with our bodies, I think is a really good thing to do because we do ignore a lot of signals a lot of the time. Yeah. So even going back to your you know the people that come up and they work hard and they go to the gym and those people are going to have symptoms they Mm -hmm. will it's just whether or not they choose to acknowledge them or not Um, and I think the more we can listen to our body specifically our gut Mm -hmm. going back to the whole gut feeling gut instinct you know you're you're only going to be giving yourself more self-empowerment and Mm -hmm. able to make the changes that work for you our time is drawing to an end, but I just want to quickly ask you, although it's quite a big question, do you think that the instances of burnout mm-hmm. are more common right now in the sort of time that we're living in? Yeah, I, I, I definitely would say, I mean, you know, the, the, na- the, the nature of the world as it is right now, it's just, you know, it's quite, it's very demanding on many levels, so... Yeah, for sure, you, the body will react. There's only so much that we mm. in the body can sort of cope with. So, yeah, I think I, d- I definitely think that stress is, is even from a medical point of view now is becoming recognised mm. as a condition in itself, and it might manifest itself in different ways with different people, but it's certainly there. Mm. Um, so you know, the more we can do these things like yoga and Pilates or meditation or even walking, I mean. Mm. You know, because people will say, I don't have time or it's expensive, because, you know, some of these prices are. But just going for a walk without the distraction, without the headphones, just Mm. being present, looking up at the sky. Sometimes, you know, we forget to look at the sky. Mm. And that sounds like a really hippy-dippy thing to say, but actually it's quite amazing just to be a bit more present. I remember a friend telling me at university, we went into this beautiful, like, bizarre shop. So it was stuff everywhere, and she just said you've walked through this entire shop and you haven't looked up and I looked up they had all these incredible lights and all these yeah and she said you've always got to look up you'll look confident and you'll see things that lots of other people won't see exactly because we walk around like this with tunnel vision don't we probably looking at our phone and actually sometimes it's quite amazing if you just switch the phone off whether you're on the tube whether you're walking around whatever you're doing and just pay attention Mm. to your surroundings you know it's much more rewarding and fulfilling yeah, rewarding and fulfilling, which I hope is what this podcast has been for the listeners. Yeah, I hope so. Thank you so much. I pleasure talk to you for absolutely hours, <laughs> um, and also because you throw in excellent uh, film analogies and <laughs> <laughs> Pac Man and whatnot. Thank you so much. Thank you for all of your expertise. I will put all of the links to you, Simpro, anything else that we've talked about, any other mm-hmm. studies or what have you. Um, but for now, thank you so much. Brilliant. And I will have you back soon, I promise. <laughs> Thanks a lot. How was it for you, listeners? Do you feel better informed about your digestive health? Do you feel that now you want to ask any more questions? If so, get in touch with me. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and you can go to emmagunawarder.com, click on the little email, and that message will come directly to my personal inbox, and I promise I get back to all of my messages as quickly as I can personally. I really hope you enjoyed it and I would love to hear what you think.